Welcome to the Contending for the Word podcast, a podcast devoted to helping inform, educate, equip, and warn people about false teachers, false movements, and unbiblical philosophies. Now join our host for today's episode and enjoy. Welcome to the program, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Justin Peters. I hope that this finds you and your family doing well today. I want to thank you so much for joining me for today's podcast. Well, today we are going to be looking at The Chosen. This has been a real big deal. It's garnered a lot of discussion in the last few years since it debuted. Of course, this series on the life and ministry of Jesus. Uh, there's been a lot of controversy about it, and so we're going to discuss some of those big issues. Uh, Dallas Jenkins, the producer, did he or did he not say that Mormons and Christians love the same Jesus? Um, is the chosen accurate? Does it accurately portray Christ and his life and his ministry? Are there issues with this whole genre in general of, depict, of depicting deity on film? So we're going to be talking about all of these things, whether or not Christians should choose the chosen. And to assist me in this program, I am employing the, uh, uh, the aid of a, of a good friend of mine named Gabriel Hughes, Gabe Hughes. And uh, some of you may be familiar with him. If not, he has the WWUTT YouTube channel and podcast, When We Understand the Text. WWTT. And uh, if you're not yet familiar with Gabe, I would encourage you to uh, get familiar with him. He's a really good guy, good brother, uh, good teaching, good stuff. So I would commend him to you. All, and he's done. A, I'm as I'm interviewing Gabe because he's he's done some work on the chosen. He's written some articles. He's done videos on the chosen, and so he's very knowledgeable. And he and I will be discussing these issues together. All of the links to Gabe's material down there below in the description. Okay, without any further delay, here is my interview with Gabe as we talk about The Chosen. Well, Gabe, brother, thank you so much for uh, taking your time to be with us this evening. Uh, how are you doing? And tell us a little bit about yourself. Yes, sir. Wonderful to be with you, Justin. I don't think I've been on your, uh, in your, on your show yet. So I know. I think this, this is the first time. Regrettably, that's, that is my error and my my uh, shortcoming there, but it's regrettably it's you're you're regretting having me on now already. No, <laughs> I'm regretting it's <laughs> taken this long to have you on there. <laughs> I gotcha. Uh, yeah, so I I was a pastor in Kansas for ten years. I've been with Tom Buck at First Baptist Church in Lindale, Texas, for almost three years now. Married to my wonderful wife Becky. If you all listen to the podcast, when we understand the text, and you've heard us both on before, which by the way, you can find that podcast by looking for WWUTT. It's uh, five days a week with New Testament Bible study on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, Old Testament book on Thursday, and then we do a Q&A on Friday responding to questions from the listeners. And all of that's kind of spun off of the videos that I've got on YouTube. So you can look for what videos on YouTube right after you watch a good Justin Peters video. Uh, <laughs> well, thank you, brother. You are kind. I love your videos. I love the WWTT videos. I've tweeted them out a number of times. I don't even know how many times. So, so uh, dear friends, uh, if you are not yet familiar with WWUTT, when we understand the text, if you're not familiar with that channel yet, uh, what is wrong with you? You should be. But all the information down below in the description, uh, hit subscribe to his videos. He does a he does a great job with those and with the podcast. All right. Well, well, Gabe, thank you, brother. Uh, so I wanted to have you on to talk about The Chosen. Now, I know it's been out for a few years already. And I believe they're on season four. And um, full disclosure, I have not watched a single episode of The Chosen. I've watched a number of clips on YouTube uh, from The Chosen YouTube channel. So it's not like uh, you know, somebody's chopped it up is from their own YouTube channel. So I've seen some of it. I just haven't watched a, an entire program, but, but you have, and you've done some videos and you've written on the chosen as well. So I wanted to have you on. Um, <laughs> what are your thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> Let's well, yeah, so, so in case you don't know, <laughs> I'm sure that people have found this video because they know what the chosen is, right. but this is, this is the very first 
serial about Jesus and his disciples. So the first TV show series, and uh, it's created by Dallas Jenkins. He's the son of Jerry B. Jenkins of the Left Behind fame. Dallas had done a couple of other movies that really flopped. Uh, As a matter of fact, he did a movie called The Resurrection of Gavin Stone, which I did a review of, and I thought it was quite terrible. Uh, And the review that I did, he uh, read and contacted me. And so we had an exchange with one another before uh, The Chosen ever even came about. In fact, when I first heard of The Chosen and I saw clips of it, I didn't know it was Dallas Jenkins. I think it was probably a year or two, maybe when the second season came out before Mm -hmm. I figured out that he was the writer and director of the program. I had not watched a single episode until the third season came out. And by that time, it had gained enough notoriety that uh, it was kind of hard to avoid. So in case you don't know, The Chosen is the uh, most successful um, uh, viewer-supported show ever made. So Mm -hmm. it's the fans that support this show. They have, you know, Patreon or whatever else where... Uh, people are donating money to, and that's how the show got started. And it makes it's pulling in millions and millions of dollars. Uh, wow. Was originally created through Angel Television, which is a Mormon-owned company, and that's okay. uh, well, it's owned by Mormons. I don't mean Mormon-owned as in the Latter-day Saints own it, but it's right, uh, right. the men who own it are Mormon. Yeah. Okay. So, so then uh, it went from them to I think Lionsgate Media owns it now, and maybe it's like a shared partnership with Angel. But in case in case you're familiar with VidAngel, that's that same sort of company. And this was uh, one of the TV shows that they put out being a dramatization of the story of Jesus and his disciples. Uh-huh. Wow. So um, how many single episodes have there been or do you know, like it, it would seem are they are they walking through chronologically through the life and ministry of Jesus? Is that how the show is structured? No, it's all over the place. It's really whatever they decide to do with it. They've had uh, eight episodes per season. So now coming up on uh, the fourth season. So with with eight episodes for three seasons, and I'm guessing the fourth season has eight episodes too. I'm not sure. But but it really, there is a kind of flow that they're following. I think they know where they're going with it, but you wouldn't be able to follow it in the Gospels. Like now we've come through this, and so now we're going on to this story. Everything just kind of seems to be in somewhat of a random order. Mm-hmm. Uh, stories that Jesus will say later on in Matthew get pulled to the very beginning and things like that, which it, with some liberty like that, I understand. But they've outright said they're really telling their own story. And in an interview that Dallas Jenkins did with Ali Beth Stuckey, he told her that about 95% of the show is not what you find in the Gospels. So even by his own admission, mm. he's telling of things that you don't find in the scripture. And then what the those things that are in the scripture, the story gets completely twisted and turned around. Words get added. Intent is changed. And although he will try to claim that they are being as faithful to the text as possible, it's really far from the biblical narrative. Right, right. Hard to imagine. I've seen him say that before as well on his own channel. And he says, you know, we just want to present the historical Jesus. We want to keep to the text. But then he turns around and he admits 95 percent of what is in the chosen isn't actually in the Bible. Yeah. Right. He has this uh, this standard that's something like, is it plausible? And so as long. But of course, plausible according to what? Right. It's it's him and then different spiritual advisors that he's got, which are not. Bible-believing exegetical Christians. They're right. uh, sometimes Jews that deny that Jesus is the Messiah. It's uh, it's Catholic priests and things like that. So these are some of the spiritual advisors that he's got. And of course, the uh, like I said before, being Mormon-influenced and financed, the showrunner has uh, is Mormon. He's got members of his cast that aren't even Christian. And so, of course, these things are influencing the direction of the story. It would hard to be, it would be hard to say that they're not. Right. Right. When you've got Mormon financial backing, it would be really you'd be really hard pressed not to not to uh, succumb to their desires and and um, instructions and suggestions and all that. Uh, yeah, it, it really is a very ecumenical Jesus that they're presenting, yeah. something that everybody's going to like, not right. the, the Jesus <laughs> of the Bible. Yeah, the affable, warm, fuzzy 
kumbaya kind of Jesus. So <laughs> he's winsome. Um, he's winsome, Justin. Winsome, yeah. And I remember what was it like seven, eight years ago? Uh, the Son of God movie that was uh, oh, her name escapes me. Roma Downey. Roma Downey. Yeah, Roma this. Downey did that, and Mark yeah. Burnett, her husband. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I watched that and wrote a review of that, and that was a train wreck. I referred to that Jesus as the hippie Jesus. Yeah, uh, so. <laughs> he was. Yeah, shampoo model Jesus. Either way, it, <laughs> it, it, it kind of fit. And that's the thing. Like this comes about every decade. There's going to be somebody else that puts together another Jesus movie or a Bible show, and people yeah. go gaga over it. Right. It's really not that good. I know that. I, I know that that gets into more subjectivity, and it's just going okay, Gabe. Well, it's just not your taste. I just don't think the show is even very well written. Uh, I don't think the music is that good. And there's some of those things, the dramatizations that I've made criticisms of in my blog when I did a review of season one of The Chosen, like even some set pieces and things like that that they decided upon. Yeah. I, I was going, why did they do that? Or the music would start up a certain <laughs> a certain way or a certain place that would be kind of annoying. It's not as well put together as people think it is. It just seems to be that, you know, anytime these Bible based shows, if you even want to call it that come about, it gains such a huge following because there are nominal Christians who are very easily entertained. Yes, indeed. Indeed. Yeah. Well, uh, again, let's, let's walk, walk through a couple of the the issues here and, and full disclosure. I think people can probably already tell neither you nor I are fans of this. In fact, uh, I am diametrically opposed to the chosen for a number of reasons. And we'll get into those. Um, as are you. So let's talk about the Mormon issue a little bit, because um, it was, what, about a year or so ago that uh, Dallas Jenkins said, and I don't have the quote in front of me, but he basically said that Mormons, LDS people, love the same Jesus. And what's funny about uh, the LDS folks is you guys seem to be, even though you're the most controversial, you seem to be the least confrontational. Um, <laughs> it's just like, hey, we're all we all love Jesus. Let's just, uh, I just want to let you know we love the show. And when people start going, hey, you're a Mormon, you're going to hell. Uh, you just like, hey, whatever. It's like you just kind of seems to roll off your back. Maybe it's because you're used to, to being on yeah. the outside sometimes. But so even if I had significant disagreements with the LDS community, which I've learned I have fewer than I thought I did. But even with that, I was okay. I was comfortable with that because as long as they're treating the show properly, that's all that matters. So it's been, I, I can honestly say it's been one of the top three most fascinating and beautiful things about this project has been my growing brother and sisterhood with people of the LDS community that I never would have known otherwise and learning so much about um, about your, your faith tradition um, and realizing, gosh, for all the stuff that maybe we don't see eye to eye on, that all happened that's all based on stuff that happened after Jesus was here. Um, the stories of Jesus we do agree on, and we we love the same Jesus. Um, that's not something that you often hear. Sometimes it's like, oh, you, uh, they I believe in a different yeah, Jesus than we do. Statement. Yeah, no, it's the same. I mean, I'll 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 sink or swim on that statement, and I and it's controversial, and I um, I don't mind getting criticized at all for the show and I don't mind being called a blasphemer. I don't like it when my friends are. And um I've made it very clear that um if I go down if I go down I'm going down swinging protecting my friends and my my brothers and sisters and so I don't deny we have a lot of theological differences but we we love the same Jesus. And and Corset made a lot of news and called a bit caused a big brouhaha amongst evangelicals. And so he went and I just watched it actually. And he did a video saying, well, it's not exactly what I said. It was taken out of context, but uh, did you follow this? I'm assuming. I did. I saw that. I watched that interview and I saw that clip and it's a, a, a Mormon show that he's on when he made that comment. And if you've seen the, the video clip, it even comes up on the bottom, like a text appears at the bottom and says, we worship the same Jesus or something to right. that effect. So they really tried to emphasize that. It wasn't just some off comment. They really wanted to show, see the the Protestants and the Mormons, we all worship the same Jesus. So that's what they were trying to push with that interview. Right. Right. And in his in his um damage control video that he did that I just watched right before we recorded, he uh he basically said, 
Well, not all LDS are Christians, just like not all evangelicals are Christians. And the point he was making was, you know, you have people that go to evangelical churches all the time that aren't truly Christians. And, you know, they're basically just pew warmers. So, you know, not all DL, not all LDS are Christians, not all evangelicals Christians. And, you know, but some, but he actually did say some, he said, I, uh, some of my LDS friends do worship the same Jesus as I do. And I'm like, no, Clyde, they don't. You just said it again. I know, right? It's it's like right. you're trying to you're trying to walk back the comment, then you just made it again. He made it again, exactly. If I actually said those words definitively, if I actually made the statement, um, evangelicals and LDS love the same Jesus, or LDS are Christians, that would be a problem. And here's why. Hello, dear ones. I want to interrupt this uh, because I, and I'm doing this post edit after that after I interviewed Gabe. Uh, he he absolutely did say those exact words. Go back and listen to what he said. Just to recap here, he said that he has less disagreements with the LDS church than he initially thought. He calls LDS, Latter-day Saints, his brothers and sisters, said the differences regarding beliefs about Jesus relate to events after he came here on earth. Uh, that, that is emphatically not true. And then he said at least twice, we love the same Jesus. And as he's doing this interview, uh, as Gabe said, he was being interviewed by a Mormon and the Mormon actually cautioned him. He said, whoa, you, you know, you're going to, that's going to get some people in, you know, in your camp upset, paraphrasing here. And he doubled down on it. He doubled down on it. He said, he said, no, I'll sink or swim on that statement. And then he said, if I go down, I'll go down swinging, protecting my brothers and sisters, LDS. I'll go down swinging, protecting my brothers and sisters, and we love the same Jesus. He emphatically did say those exact things. Not because there aren't LDS folks who are Christians, and not because there aren't LDS and evangelicals who love the same Jesus, but because... Do you hear what he said? And not because there aren't LDS people and evangelicals that love the same Jesus. So in other words, some do love the same Jesus. Let's continue. Because it would be wrong of me to ever say that any one group believes any one thing altogether. Um, that is just a level of arrogance that I don't have. Uh, and it's something that I actually believe has been a problem over the years with many people is whatever uh, title or label that someone has had assigned to them or that they've assigned themselves or whatever group that they're part of that we oftentimes will um, will label the entire group as having a particular belief or a particular personality. It would be just as dumb for me to say that all LDS are Christians as it would be to say that all evangelicals are Christians or that all Catholics are Christians or any other faith tradition. And it would also be dumb of me to say that none are. That's also a level of arrogance that I don't possess. So he's saying it's arrogant to say that no LDS people are Christians. Dear friends, you cannot believe LDS theology and be a Christian. If you hold to Latter-day Saint theology, by definition, you are not a Christian. You have trusted a different Jesus and a different gospel. And it is not arrogant to say that. It is speaking the truth. I happen to be speaking about, and when I've talked about my brothers and sisters in Christ, and when I've talked about those LDS folks that I know who love the same Jesus I do, I'm referring to some of the friends that I have who identify as LDS, who I've gotten to know very deeply over the last few years in particular, and have had hundreds of hours of conversations with, and I stand by the statement that those friends of mine that I'm referring to absolutely love the same Jesus that I do. Exactly. Uh the LDS Latter-day Saints, Mormon Jesus, is a completely different Jesus than the Jesus of the Bible. This is a Jesus who was a created being, spiritual brother of Lucifer. Mormonism has a work salvation, right? So mm -hmm. that, that to use a Southern phrase, that dog just don't hunt. This is right. a different Jesus. And so, yeah, the, the Jesus that you're seeing in The Chosen is definitively not the Jesus of the Bible, right? Right. Even God in Mormonism is just an exalted man. Exactly. He's not eternal and uncreated. 
Right. Jesus is begotten of the Father in the sense that he's actually the offspring of the Father, of, right. of Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother. Right. And yeah, like you said, Satan is even a brother to Jesus in this Mormon paradigm. In fact, we are all spirit brothers of Jesus and Satan, and uh, and we can become exalted gods just like God, uh, just like Elohim and just like uh, Jesus were. So if we do enough good works— and we work our way through the system, we can become our own gods with our own planets, which we will be populating in eternity. Is This is a completely different God, a completely different Jesus, where Dallas Jenkins makes the comment that, well, there are some evangelicals that don't follow Jesus. That's true. But in evangelicalism, you can find the true Christ because right. we're preaching the true Christ of the Bible. Right. In Mormonism, you will never find the true Jesus. Exactly. Because the the Jesus that they're proclaiming is an invention of a false prophet named Joseph Smith. It is not the Christ of the Bible. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So he, he tried to pull a fast one with his, you know, wordsmithing there, but it is a definitively a different Jesus. It is a it's a work salvation, as you just said. It's a it's a created being. This Jesus is a, and and Mormonism is really it's henotheism. It's it's this belief that there are many God. Well, it's really polytheistic. Just it's blatant yeah. polytheism. It's right. Blatant polytheism. Yeah. With henotheism, you have like all these gods that are kind of a, a conglomerate of the same thing. But this this yeah. is true polytheism. It's true polytheism. multiple gods. In fact, as James White has argued, there is no religion more polytheistic than Mormonism. Because according to some Mormon cosmologists, there are an infinite number of gods. And yeah, yeah like we said before, you and I could become a god right. and uh, and have our own world. Right, right. And when you, cons <laughs> when you consider that Mormonism is more polytheistic than Hinduism, yeah. that's saying something. Yeah, Hinduism, we actually can number their gods. It's something like right. 330 million. <laughs> right. But there's a, I don't know that it's you would a bunch want of them, but at least there's yeah, you a don't want to number them, but they, they're accountable apparently. But with Mormonism, no, it's just, it's just a universe full of gods. Exactly. It's almost like the multiverse. It, it's the multiverse of madness, but it's multiverse of Mormonism. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. <laughs> um, so, so the scenes aren't really accurate, right? I mean, the, um, I know there's a scene where Jesus was rehearsing the uh sermon on the mount right and he was have you seen this one <laughs> yeah it's it's absolutely ridiculous uh and and the way that you know like like i said earlier with because they're adding things into it dallas jenkins admission that 95 percent of it isn't even in the bible but when they do stuff like that it changes the actual bible story so you have that scene with jesus kind of wandering around and rehearsing the sermon on the mount well he's also got matthew writing it down for him yeah. And Jesus can't figure out how to start the Sermon on the Mount. Like he's trying to find he's trying to find out a good opener. What's what's a good right. way that I can start the sermon? And he goes and he wakes up Matthew and he says, Hey, I've got it. And Matthew says, What well, your your opener, how you're gonna open? And he says, Yeah. And so Matthew says, Okay, what is it? And Jesus says, A roadmap on how to find me. And that's the Beatitudes. So you have an expression that's being made there by the writers and the director of the show that the Beatitudes are a roadmap for how to find Jesus. And that's not at all what no. the Beatitudes are. No, The Beatitudes are a description of who Jesus' disciples are. As Charles Spurgeon said, the Beatitudes are not how to be saved. The Beatitudes describe the saved. So yeah. blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's to be Jesus' disciples. That's who we are, poor in spirit, right. pure in heart, hungering and thirsting for righteousness. So it's not a roadmap to find God. It's those who have been found by God and have been made disciples of Jesus Christ. So they're teaching on these things totally false. And it is uh, that might seem like a minor point to some people, but it is it, mm -hmm. it, people's thinking of things like the Sermon on the Mount are being shaped by statements like this and the depictions that we get in the show. Yes, indeed. Indeed. There's a, another scene I want to ask you about, Gabe, and that is the John 3.16 scene. And I've, I've watched this, again, straight from The Chosen's official YouTube channel. And Dallas Jenkins said, he really, you know, he said, we really put a lot of effort into this scene. We wanted to get it right because... 
oh, what was his word? This is the scene that, um, you know, changed history or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, I watched it and I, man, I was appalled. So did they get it right? The John, the John 316 <laughs> scene? Yeah. And so not only did they, did they mess this up and we can get to the ending of that here in a moment. Cause the ending yeah. is the worst part. Yeah. Yes. But, but not only are there things that are different, like the location is different, uh, where this, this conversation had taken place between Jesus and Nicodemus was actually in Jerusalem. And in the show, they say it's in Capernaum. So they, yeah. they, they changed the location, all this other kind of thing. But then those lines that you would think are accurate, like like actually taken from John 3, the exchange in John 3, and used in the script, they're moved around. So yeah. Nicodemus will say one thing and Jesus will respond. And it's really a short conversation. When you go back to John 3 and you read it, there's three exchanges yeah. with Nicodemus saying something, Jesus responding, and that happens three times. So it's really just a short conversation. But even those three exchanges... The writers, the scriptures have moved stuff around and it changes the intent of the story. What Jesus was actually there to do, uh, uh, Nicodemus's heart in the midst of that back and forth. You know, they make Nicodemus like this seeker. And at the end of the conversation, he's fully convinced. He's like, oh, this this is it. This is the son of God. Well, <laughs> uh, yeah. John 3 does not tell us that at all, that that is Nicodemus's change of heart. That's right. Now, at the at the end of that conversation, Nicodemus tries to bow before him, kisses his hand and kneels before him. And Jesus tries to discourage him from doing that. Yes. Tries to tell Nicodemus, what are you doing? Don't do that. And I, I, I was like, you've got to be kidding me. This was the very first scene of this show I ever saw. Had never seen anything else of the show except mm -hmm. this clip. And when I saw that, I was going, Jesus telling someone not to bow to yes. him. Where right. do you see that anywhere in the Gospels? Right. And and that was that was frankly astonishing. And when I did a review of that, when I reviewed that scene and walked through the scripture and showed how they changed the the dialogue between Jesus and Nicodemus, uh I had I had said that every problem that you can find in the show, you can find it in this scene. This scene is indicative mm -hmm. of every other problem. Yes. So uh, so that saved me from having to go through every other scene and <laughs> and do the same thing, do a textual criticism of it. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Uh yeah, that is just appalling. And I, I watched that and and the, the audio is kind of muted. The the level, the audio level when Jesus says that to Nicodemus is 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 a bit low, but but it's distinctly there. He discourages that, right? He says, "You don't yeah. don't, do that. don't do that." You know, like like Jesus is is discouraging worship of him, right? Right? Unbelievable! Unbelievable! Yeah. That yeah. that is. And, a, go ahead. Yeah. Well, Nicodemus also quotes uh, Psalm two. And he says, kiss the son, lest he become angry with you and you perish in the way. Mm -hmm. And Jesus stands him up and says, blessed are all who take refuge in him. Now, the way they piece that, that's exactly Psalm 2. That's Nicodemus right. is quoting the second to last line and Jesus is quoting the last line. But the way that they're doing it, the way that they're presenting it, as it is, is it is as if Jesus is saying, you don't have to worry about that. Right. As long as you take refuge in, in him or something to that effect, like there is no reason for you to fear me and that there is no wrath that is going to come upon you. That's the way that they they put that exchange in there. You just have to watch it to see what it is that I'm talking about. But right. uh, but but it's not like Jesus. It's almost as if he is trying to discourage um, Nicodemus from having that healthy, reverent fear of God. Yes. By saying you you don't have to focus on that part of Psalm two, you just focus on this part of Psalm two. Right. Right. Yeah. And and never mind that John in Revelation, you know, fell on his face. Never never yeah. mind that. Yeah. You know, so so we actually have biblical precedent for people falling down before Christ in worship. But not this Jesus. No, yeah. this Jesus. Yeah. There there'll be none of that with this Jesus. Oh, absolutely appalling, you know. And and let me say too, uh, this is not where neither one of us is saying, you know, I'm not making uh, an evaluation one way or the other about 
Dallas Jenkins sincerity. But sincerity is not the issue. Truth is the issue. That is the issue. And, um, and, and the chosen, unfortunately, just does not reflect truth, not the truth of scripture or absolutely. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's like the old saying, the road of good intention, uh, the road to hell is paved with good right. intentions. So he can have all the best intentions in the world, but yeah. getting this wrong, and consider the warning that we have given to us in 2 Peter 3.16. There are many people who twist and distort the scriptures to their own destruction. Right. That's and right. so that that's that's something that makes me tremble on Dallas's behalf, that he would... Yes. Uh, uh, play so flippantly with the scriptures and think that this is fine as long as it's entertaining. The jokes that he will say online and on on the chosen Facebook page and stuff like that. Whenever, uh, like for example, going back to the criticism about uh, Mormonism, he made this this reference to G uh, to filming a scene with Jesus on a cross. He hasn't done this. He was saying this as a joke. But he uh, he was talking about filming the scene with Jesus on a cross, and there's a Mormon standing right there in front of Jesus, and Jesus winks at him. And you know, it's the way oh. that the way that uh, Dallas will joke about these things. Like he wants to stir up the animosity because it increases the the press that the show gets, the the buzz and things like that. It'll get on social media. Right. Right. Okay. Well, Gabe, let's let's broaden our. Um view here a little bit let's broaden our parameters and and uh step back and focus now not just on the chosen but all of these movies about christ so whether we're talking about the chosen whether we're talking about son of god roma downey the first one i remember as a kid back in the 70s was jesus of nazareth (laughs) you remember that I think I still have that on DVD to tell you the truth. I think, yeah. I think I got a copy of that. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know which I one remember, you're talking about. I remember watching that as a kid and and that was a much more serious m- movie. You know, it was um, anyway, as I remember it anyway, I mean, it was 40 years ago when I watched it, but that um, was a made for TV movie too. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So I and you and I have talked about this before recording. I we both have a problem with the whole genre of right. depicting Christ in film. And and there's a debate: is this a second commandment violation showing Jesus on film? And and people come down on different sides on that on that issue. And um at the very least, regardless of where you fall on, on is it specifically a, a second commandment violation? Baseline here, it is putting images of deity in your mind that are not accurate. And even the best actor with the best of intentions could not possibly do justice to portraying Christ. And it's, it's putting these images in, in people's heads of who Jesus is that are not accurate. And, and there's a danger with that, right? Right. There sure is. Yeah. You, you know, I made a conversation or I made a point on a, another conversation that I had, another interview I did on another program where I said, you know, I've been able to watch these shows and it doesn't bother me. I just have an ability to just kind of switch it off in my mind. And, and I'm not even thinking about it when I, when I look at this stuff or do, you know, something else. So Jonathan Rumi, who's the name of the actor that plays Jesus in The Chosen, he right. doesn't come in my head whenever I'm reading the Gospels. Well, that was a comment I made a few months ago. And that's, I can honestly admit that's since changed. Uh, the image that he's portrayed in The Chosen, and as much as I watched that show earlier this year, because I was going through that season of watching multiple episodes and reviewing it and doing that kind of a thing, uh, there are times when things that he said or done in the chosen has mm. come into my head as I'm reading a particular text in scripture. Mm. And I know what he's portraying is wrong. And, right. and it, it bothers me. Like it just, it bothers me the way that those images will pop in my head, even though I have no affinity for Jonathan Rumi's portrayal or anything that was done in the chosen. It's just the fact that I've subjected myself to that. And yeah. had it repeatedly played in front of me, yeah. that it's now part of my imagination whenever I'm uh, I'm reading text, mm-hmm. and so that that's been uh, it has been you know a, a, de- a demonstration of the weakness of my own flesh 
So how much more those persons who really love those images and love that particular betrayal, how much of that is coming into their lives and is becoming their perception of Jesus? Uh Just like you said, there is no way for us as sinful human beings to accurately portray the sinless son of God. Right. There is there is no way even our nuance can somehow capture Christ's perfection in his humanity. This is the only good man who ever lived. What example do you have exactly to go by? That's right. (laughs) A a real world example around you that you would know what what a good man who never sinned would actually look like. So, you know, vocal inflection, everything else, there's just simply no way for us to make an accurate portrayal of that. Now, now preaching is something different. It's not the same thing. If somebody were to make the argument, well, what about when you just read the text right out of Matthew? You read the red letters. Are you not doing the same thing when you're reading the words of Christ? No, I'm communicating to you a message. I'm not trying to act out a script or portray Christ to you. What I want you to hear are the words that Jesus said. I don't want you to think about Gabe. I don't want you you to think about the, the way that I acted or or vocally captured the things that Jesus said, I want you to see Christ in the word. I want to get myself out of the way and just make much of Christ. That should be a preacher's intention when he does that. But with this, with, with the portrayal of Christ on film, you're seeing Jonathan Rumi, you're seeing, you know, the other actors in the show, you're, you're seeing the, the landscape that they've chosen and the costumes and, and the script that they've written and all this other kind of thing. It's about them. It's what you see on the screen. It is not directing or pointing anyone to the Christ of the Bible. Amen. Amen. And, you know, I I just I think about these things like if if someone were to come to me and I'm no actor, but if someone were to come to me and just as I'm saying this, I, I hear how absurd it's sound like, especially given that I'm crippled. But at any rate, let's just <laughs> for kicks and giggles. Uh, if someone came to me and said, Justin, I'm making a movie on the life of Jesus, and I want you to play the starring role, I would say, you want me to do what? You want me to play whom? Are you kidding me? Not in a million lifetimes. I would be absolutely terrified. Yeah. And and just the even the thought of doing that is so repulsive to me because I know who I am. I, I know I'm a mm. sinner. I'm not, you know, not in a million lifetimes would I even consider it because I I just, you know, Jesus is not our, he's not our homeboy. I mean, he is the thrice holy second person of the triune God with eyes of flaming fire and feet of burnished bronze, Mm. the Alpha and Omega. And just the thought that any of us, any of us could try to portray him, the audacity of that is just beyond my comprehension. Yeah. Uh, I have some experience in musical theater. And so I am one who was once extended the opportunity to play the role of Jesus and I turned it down. So <laughs> uh, I can say that that did come up once. And I, and yeah. when I did, it was uh, the person who offered it to me. He was the director of the play. He was totally shocked that I turned it down. He was like, I thought this would be something that you would want to do. I said, no way. I don't want to. I don't want to put myself in that position. I tremble enough yes. to stand in the pulpit. Like like John Knox had said, I've never once feared the devil, but I tremble every time I step into the pulpit. Amen. And Amen. it is a burden enough for me to, to um, handle God's word rightly, let alone yes. to take on the persona of Jesus and feel like I'm portraying that the right way. Yes, absolutely. That resonates so strongly with me because it— there's not a time when I don't get behind the pulpit that I'm not terrified at, at, at what I'm doing, the task, of the responsibility of that task. But boy, when you start talking about trying to portray Christ and film in a visual form with, oh man, that is just, it is, that is so beyond my comprehension. And it, it, and I'm not saying every, every person who watches a chosen is unregenerate, but, but I would, I hope people who watch this may their, hearts be pricked their their consciences be pricked by this this is you're not watching a you know it's not like we're this isn't even i mean it's not even like the 10 commandments with charlton heston i mean that you can i expose debate about that too but but we're talking about deity mm-hmm. god in human flesh yeah 
So yeah, when I said I said earlier about having Jesus of Nazareth on DVD, that was for research purposes only. I right. don't uh, I don't have that for entertainment value. Sure, sure. Uh, but yeah, you mentioned uh, Charlton Heston. You know, I think I can say this, and and you would agree with me on this. We're not saying that any kind of cinematic portrayal of any Bible story is wrong. There have been some cinematic portrayals of some Bible stories that I thought were pretty good. I thought were pretty entertaining. I'm not going to say what they are because I don't want to give them an endorsement. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I myself am, you know, with enough discernment can handle those things responsibly. Somebody else might not be able to. So I still want to be careful with that kind of thing. But this is specifically talking about a portrayal of of Jesus. Yes. And how can a sinful human being portray that? Right. Now, certainly we're called to be Christ-like. Paul's instruction in Philippians 2, 5, to have the mind of Christ. In mm-hmm. 1 Corinthians 11, 1, he says, imitate me because I am of Christ. But mm-hmm. that's not Paul saying that he is Christ. Right. Somebody who is on film taking on that that mantle, really, so to speak, of of Jesus and portraying Jesus and trying to say that this is what Jesus, I mean, I mean, they're saying that this is what I believe Jesus would have done, or here's how I think he would have acted in this or something to that effect. I mean, you're, you're really taking a lot on yourself for which you will be tested and, and judged. And that yeah. is, uh, that's too tall an order for me to want to do. Boy, amen. You know, amen. And I know eschatologically, judicially, all of my sins have been forgiven in Christ past, present, and future. But uh, I, I know that one day I will still, you know, we will all give an account. And one thing I do not want to give an account for is portraying Jesus on film as I stand before him one day. I, that is incomprehensible to me how anyone would even. And by the way, is is not that it matters because it really doesn't. But what is, is Jonathan Rumi Catholic? Yes, he is. And he's okay. not just Catholic. He's a Catholic mystic. So he's he's said in interviews that he's communicated with the dead and has asked God for signs and like, oh, signs from heaven came to him and things like this. So, uh, yeah, not not just somebody who's in an apostate religion, but someone who is even claiming things that uh, claiming Christian things that are really pagan. Right. And you, you've seen publicly how this man is admired. He prayed at the walk for life in Washington, D.C. earlier this year in 2023. And I mean, the crowd goes wild when the man that comes out there who's playing Jesus on their favorite cereal walks up to the stage to give a speech. And and he uh, says to some, I don't know if somebody in the audience called him Jesus or whatever it was, and he tried to discourage them and go, and he said, no, 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 I'm, I'm not the real Jesus, I'm TV Jesus. And then he points to Jim Caviezel, who was over on the side, and he said, Jim Caviezel movie Jesus. I am TV Jesus. And I, I, I mean, that's as though it might look like he's trying to discourage you from acknowledging him as Jesus. He was actually saying, no, I'm Jesus. I'm the Jesus on, yeah. on TV. So yeah. it's really disturbing to see that the way that people have responded to this, a man who is not a follower right. of the biblical Christ. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And, you know, uh, a minute ago, you said uh, every decade or so, about two decades ago, it was the passion of the Christ. Mel Gibson's you saying Jim Caviezel kind of spurred my thinking on that. And uh, I remember back, this was early 2000s, what, like 2002 or so when the passion of the Christ came out, give or take a year. And um, that there was so much hype about that. I heard people say, and I remember someone saying this direct quote. This is the greatest evangelistic tool of all time. Yeah. You know, like I thought the Bible was, <laughs> I thought that, you know, it's, it's, it's pathetic that so many evangelicals yeah. every, every handful of years, there's this new fad that comes down the evangelical pike. Everybody gets all excited about it. And whether it's a movie or the, the prayer of Jabez, you know, that was a big thing for a while. And, uh, you know, there's nobody, I don't think anybody's praying the prayer of Jabez anymore. You know, why not? Cause it was a fad. That's all of these things are fads. Right. right. And it's, does it, Gabe, does it reflect, does it reflect a dissatisfaction, the, the popularity of these things? Does it reflect a dissatisfaction and or lack of confidence in the scriptures? Oh yeah. I, I made a comment on Twitter uh, well, X now, Twix. Twix is what I call it. We, 
can't funny. figure out the name of it anymore. It's first time yeah. I've heard that Twix. <laughs> so I made a comment on social media that was something like, if the scriptures were sufficient, people would not be entertained by the chosen. And there were people got really mad at me for that. But it, it's like, I mean, really, if you if the Bible is enough for you, why are you turning to these programs that are twisting the scriptures that you say that you love? Yes. And and you're you're letting them do that, and it's fine with you, and you'll continue to watch it, or maybe even pay for it if one of if you're one of the fans that's willing to donate money for this to yeah. continue to be made. Listen, I've got friends that I consider to be biblically solid, faithful friends that think the chosen's just fine, and uh, and I had another friend that who had said that she saw the John three sixteen scene with Jesus and Nicodemus, and she thought it was great. But then she read my review and she said, oh, okay. See, I, in her mind, she was filling in the blanks and kind of like aligning the scriptures where they were supposed to go and not realizing that what she was watching was so far off yeah. the biblical narrative. Yeah. It's really easy to be fooled by these things. And I'm not one who is sitting here saying that, you know, if you're watching this stuff, you're not a Christian. That's not what I'm trying to convey at all. Yeah. There's been times in my life I've been led astray by false teachers and somebody had to come alongside me. I think you've done that for me before. In fact, oh. <laughs> I was probably entertained by some false teacher. And then I watched a Justin Peters video. I was like, okay, <laughs> so there was something there that I, I didn't realize uh, was there. But this is why we need good brothers and sisters in the Lord. This is why yeah. we need uh, the local church uh, yeah. and why we need to be sitting under good preaching so that the devil will not lead us astray and treat the word of God so flippantly that it can be twisted in such a way to become something entertaining instead of something revered. Like yeah. you said, the greatest evangelical tool of all time. We don't need this other stuff. Right. And and we sure, certainly should never judge anybody because they say that, uh, oh, I just I, I can't stand this thing, this portrayal of Jesus in this movie or, or this TV show. Uh, I remember when The Passion of the Christ came out, I went and saw it. My mom absolutely would not. Oh. And uh, and and to me, that was kind of funny. I was in college at the time, so I was like, oh, I wonder why my mom wouldn't want to go see this movie about Jesus. But then a friend of mine made the comment to me, well, if she doesn't want to go see the movie, I don't even know how she can call herself a Christian. And once he said oh. that, I was like, uh, okay, that's stupid. <laughs> and, you know, we're we're now actually judging people whether their faith is genuine based on whether or not they would watch a cinematic portrayal, which is never going to be an accurate portrayal. Right. Of of right. what the scriptures say, so yeah, those uh, the the tendencies to jump into the legalism with that. There's there's a very great risk of doing that as well. Yes, yeah, there sure is. You know, I, I keep thinking of Luke 16, the rich man and Lazarus, and both of whom died. The rich man went to the lake of fire. Lazarus went to Abraham's bosom, heaven, and uh, the rich man cried out. He said. Father Abraham, send him, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers so that he can warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. And Abraham responded. He said, they have Moses. They have the prophets. Mm -hmm. Let them hear them. No, Father Abraham. But if, if someone were to come back from the dead, then they'll believe that'll get their t attention. If they can just see Lazarus come back from the dead, that'll get, you know, shake them into reality and then they'll repent. And he said, if they will not hear Moses, if they will not hear the prophets, neither will they believe, even if someone were to come back from the dead. Right. Amen. So when people think, when Christians, or at least professing Christians, get this idea in their mind that, oh, you know, this new movie, this new shiny object in the room, you know, that's that's going to draw people to Christ and God's going to save people through this, the latest thing, the latest shiny object. If they will not hear Moses, if they will not hear the prophets, if they will not respond to the scriptures, mm -hmm. neither will they believe, even if someone were to come back from the dead. Right. So that in my mind puts an end to all of this stuff thinking that this is going to be the next great thing, the next move of God to bring people into the kingdom. Huh? No, if, if yeah. God won't do it, some, some dopey movie sure isn't going to do it. 
Yeah, with that text you cited, Luke 16, I mean, you can end the whole heaven tourism movement with that. Yes. You can, like the He Gets Us ads. Yes. Uh, all yes. of this stuff. Yes. It, it, is, uh, uh, it is not going to be as convincing as the scriptures. After all, Romans 10, 17 says faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Right. These things are not going to bring people to faith. It is the word of Christ that brings people to faith. I was thinking a moment ago about, uh, you know, the comment that you made about Dallas Jenkins intentions and how good they are. Same with, you know, making the passion of the Christ. Maybe Mel Gibson made that because he had some good intention to share Jesus with others or the he gets us ads that play during football and baseball games and things like that. Well, this is an evangelistic effort. We're trying to draw people in. We want to introduce them to Christ and and things like that. But of course, we know from the he gets us stuff, they're twisting the scriptures in those ads as well. They're presenting a different Jesus that's yeah. more of a, a a culturally relevant Jesus rather than the Jesus of the Bible. Right. I was, I, you know, oftentimes when we talk about the the best of intentions and things like that, I come back to the exchange between Jesus and Peter in Matthew 16. So Jesus tells Peter, uh, he tells his disciples, mm-hmm. hey, I'm about to be arrested. I'm going to be put to death. But don't fear, I'm coming back in three days. Oh. And Peter just hears the whole you know, he's going to get killed. So he he tries to stop his Lord from going and being arrested and killed. And he mm-hmm. says, far be it from you to do this kind of a thing. And Jesus' response to Peter, which we know was, get behind me, Satan, for you are not thinking with the mind of God, but with the mind of a man. Now, Peter had good intentions there. Yep. He would have said, I just love Jesus, and I don't want him to go get killed like this. But if Peter had his way, no matter how good his intentions were, if Peter had his way, we would not be saved. That's right. And so it is important for us that when it comes to teaching the word, when it comes to accurately handling the word, accurately handling the word of truth is yeah. what Paul told Timothy to do in Second uh, Timothy 2.15. When it comes to handling these things rightly, we have to do it the way that God has said it in his word. Our intentions be damned. They are not going to be what brings people to a saving knowledge of Christ. It is the word and the word preached rightly and handled rightly that brings people to a saving knowledge of our Savior. Amen and amen. All right. Well, Gabe, brother, thank you so much for helping us consider these issues and Uh, Very helpful. I hope this will be a help to everyone watching and and encourage our viewers to not to choose the chosen. Right. (laughs) That's as good a sign off line as I think that I could have I could have come up with. (laughs) (laughs) All right, brother. Thank you, friend. It was wonderful to be on your show. Thank you so much, Gabe. I appreciate you coming on. And uh, dear ones, thank you for watching again. All the links to Gabe's um, podcast and YouTube channel down there below in the description. I commend them to you. Until our next time together, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit be with you all. Thank you for listening to this episode of Contending for the Word. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show and rate us wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to also like, subscribe, and follow Servants of Grace on Facebook, Instagram, or X. We appreciate your support.